from its inception, Christianity has been associated with pursuit, with mission, with the idea that it was a, a concept to be told to others. For, for good or for ill, it's been associated with Christianity. It comes from Jesus, really, who uh, at the end of his life said, go and uh, make disciples of all nations. And there was a consistent theme early on in the church. They believed something had happened, something really good, and that others ought to know about it. And so from the start, Christianity has been associated with, with pursuit and with mission. And it's, its history tells that story, and sometimes in very negative ways, however. I give you the Crusades and the Inquisition, where people were killed if they didn't believe or tortured and coerced to believe. It's uh, been associated with pursuit in ways that are not always helpful. And more recently, it's been associated with pursuit in some ways that just seem awkward and odd. I can't remember if I've ever told you this, but a friend of mine once told me about some friends who used to share the gospel in New York City. And they did this by getting tracks. You know, those are little pamphlets that talk about Jesus. And they would walk, people walk down the street. He showed me the technique. They put it in their fingers like this and they'd throw it and hit the person on the chest and fall before them who would pick it up. Now, that's just odd. <laughs> right? It's just weird. Then there's weeping TV evangelists and it's been associated with so much odd, uncomfortable pursuit that Penn Gillette is completely caught off guard, struck by somebody who was sane and normal, and in the phrase that he uses three or four times, look me right in the eyes. You can see how, he's not changing what he believes, but you can see how struck he is by the idea that this was just a good guy looking me in the eye and talking to me about what he believed, the most normal thing in the world. Well, unfortunately, it hasn't been so normal. You know, I thought about what uh, Penn Jillette said, the one point where he says, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them this story? Because if you believe it with your core, you're going to want others to know about it. And at its core, wait for it, at its core, you know, Christianity is really, really simple. I, I, let me, I'm going to read you a, a brief section that's not going to be in your screen. And the people in the back are going, oh, great, thanks. Well done, Bruce. Um, it's right before the passage I'm going to show you in a few minutes, which you don't know what that is either. And look at my magic glasses. Do you all notice that when you impress I have They fold up. I think they're very cool. Anyway. Magic glasses in honor of Penn and Teller. There's this passage in a letter in the New Testament, which is written to the church in Corinth, and it's by Paul, a guy we've talked about in this series. And uh, this is what he says about, about, about this message. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciled to the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. That really seems like a good idea. I mean, the simplicity of that message. Paul said, 
God is saying everything can be new, that people who are broken can be whole, that, that people's, people's hearts can be made alive again, that he was in the world not counting the screwy things that people have done against them. This is really good news. And it's such a, a, a simple message. That it, it, it seems like, how did this ever get so awkward? Why wouldn't it just be the simplest thing as, okay, let me back up. Penn Teller has uh, spoken about what he believes, and he says, I'm not an atheist. That really sells it short. I'm beyond that. I'm not saying I don't believe in God. He's saying, this is what I believe. I believe there is no God. And so he goes through how it shapes his life and how it, how it benefits him. And he even says, because there's no forgiveness beyond, that makes me have to be more thoughtful with my life. And so he's able to share, and he has. He shared with people, here's the benefits. Here's what I see about it, being an atheist. Boy, I'd love you to know about it. He, he's sort of a kind and gentler atheist, you know, not like Dawkins, who just seems to be in a bad mood and angry. With, if you haven't read anything by Dawkins, you don't pick it up, actually. He's just in a bad mood, and he's sort of cranky, and he just doesn't like people who believe anything. Penn's just saying, hey, this is what I believe, and uh, I, I like it, and pretty convinced of it, and I'm willing to talk about it, but the most normal thing in the world. The message that Paul says, they're the most normal thing in the world. Hey, have I told you this? That there's a, that what God wants, you know that part of you that feels sort of dead in those moments you have where you sense that there's something more to you? That's all true. This is really awesome that what God is doing is, number one, he wants, to, he wants to not count your screwy things against you, and he wants to make those dead parts of you alive again. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And you can you were actually meant for a relationship with God. That's that thing you sense. It's the simplest, most pure and pleasant message in the world. It's why it's called good news. It's really good. It's a, it's a good story. And if you read through the Bible and you don't get bogged down in some of the details of culture and stuff, it's a really good story. So what happened? Why is Pendulette totally caught off guard by somebody who's normal, who looks him in the eye, and just wants to tell them something about his faith. What is the, what's the missing thing here? I'll tell you what, I wrestled with this one. I really wrestled with this one because I have been a pastor for a long time. And in the course of that, I've talked to people lots of times about why you should um, tell other people your faith. And I get to go with Penn's thing, you know, trucks coming in the road, you, wouldn't you go jump out and save them? And some of you would go like, you, you know, he's right. I sh- there's a truck coming. I should go out and knock the person down, even if they don't want to hear it. And in our awkward ways, we go fire into re- relationships. And I could tell you some things that would make you want to or feel like you ought to anyway, go out and tell people. And you go like, you know, he's right. This is not awkward. But the problem is it would feel awkward. And there was something that struck me this week as I was going through this, and it's a verse I'm about to read that flipped it on its ear in a way <clears throat> that I think is really important. And it begins with this. this. I think among the greatest struggles that we have as human beings is being comfortable in our own skin. See, the issue about God and Jesus and other people, it's not about God and Jesus and other people. It's about me and you. It's about what goes on within us and the struggle to be comfortable with who we are. I mean, where does, where does poise and confidence? I mean, he said, this guy was just, you know, confident, just at ease. Where does that come from? Where are we poised? Where are we confident? Where do we feel at ease and normal? It's when we finally get to that place where we're comfortable with our own skin, with who we are. We're not 
You see, until you do that, you're always playing games. You're always trying to figure out what somebody else is going to think of you, how they're going to react to you, whether they accept it. They don't accept my message. How are they going to view me? When you become comfortable with who you are, which is a struggle, when you become comfortable with who you are, a lot of that fades away. You know who you are. You might be hurt by rejection, but it doesn't alter you. I teach public speaking. And in teach public speaking, I don't really teach that many techniques. Dale Carnegie would probably be very disappointed in me. I don't teach all these fancy techniques for how to engage somebody's attention. Tell this clever story. I tell people at the beginning of my class, the most important thing, the single most important thing, is finding your voice. Is figuring out how you are, who you are and speaking out of that. If you do that, I'm not saying you'll revolutionize the world, but I am saying you'll be comfortable up front. And if you're comfortable up front, that's really the big task. But then I'll say to him, but the most challenging thing you'll do is find your voice. Because the struggle to be comfortable with who we are is among the greatest battles that we have. You see, I think Pendulette was caught off guard by something he didn't expect. For the first time, he heard somebody talking to him about a message where the medium fit. It was congruous with what he was saying. The person was comfortable with who they are. See, the gospel isn't intended simply to give us a message that we're to tell. It's intended to change us at our core, and it changes us not and making us better people. It changes us by making us more who we were always meant to be. The true mark of somebody who has made a mature place in the relationship with Christ is somebody who's no longer playing games. They've found who they are. They're comfortable with their brokenness. They're comfortable with their beauty. They live out of that. The gospel is the key to figuring that out. And see, there is a unique tie to the transformation within us and our ease with sharing our story. And Here's what it is. See, here's what I ask myself. I ask myself this. If I'm passionate about something and I believe it's important for other people, won't I talk to them about it? Well, sure. That's really an easy one. The question I asked, though, is a question I hadn't asked very often. And it was this. What is God passionate about? And it, at risk of sounding incredibly um, something, I'm going to tell you what I think God is passionate about. Presumptuous. Yes, I'm going to tell you what God is passionate about. I'm going to, so I'm going to tell you what the story of the Bible, <clears throat> what God seems to tell us he is passionate about. And it comes in this <clears throat> next set of verses. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is God passionate about? He's passionate, passionate about reconciliation. He is driven by a desire to see people made right with him. See that little phrase there, on Christ's behalf, we implore you as though speaking for him. In other words, essentially what it says is God's begging. 
God's imploring, God's beseeching, God is pursuing. The real story of pursuit in the Bible is not simply that we're supposed to go talk to thee, but the real story of pursuit is the pursuit of God for you and the idea that God wants to reconcile you. And he is not somewhat, mm, it's not a theological concept. God didn't go, you know what I think here, let's have a theological construct here. We got people who are fallen, let's forgive them, let's start a whole new thing here, let's wipe that out, let's create this. It was a passionate desire to see you and I become whole, such that it drove him to come to earth, to live and die. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It sounds somewhat confusing. It means this. God made Jesus, his son, who had no sin, perfect, sinless deity, to be sin for us to bear our flaws, our faults, our screwy behavior, our betrayals, to bear all of that, to die for it, so that in him we might become right, whole, correct before God, accepted and loved eternally. This day and every other day of our lives. In order for that to happen, God had to set certain things in motion. What he had to set in motion was the coming of his son to earth, to live and to die. Jesus came unbidden. In other words, the story of the Bible is not the story of a God who went, okay, fine, fine. You keep wanting me to do something, fine, I'll do something about it. The story of the Bible is a story of people like you and I who are rather indifferent, really. And God coming in hot, pursued after us. There was, there was a poem written in the 19th century called The Hound of Heaven. And in it, it, it depicts God as the one who, while we are somewhat aimless and wandering and rather disinterested, continues to come after us over and over and over again. It is the picture of what reconciliation looks like. It is somebody who comes after another person over and over and over again. I want you to think about your relationships. I want you to think about the ones you don't care about and the ones that matter deeply to you. The ones that don't care, you don't care about, you will not pursue reconciliation very hard. If you have a relationship you don't care very much about, you might do the perfunctory, hey, I'm a Christian, if, if you are. I'm a Christian, I guess I should forgive them. But do it again and that's it. If you don't care very much about somebody, you will write them off relatively easily and feel okay about that. You did your best. You did your duty. I'm moving on. As you move up the level of people you care about, you're willing to go to farther and farther lengths. In fact, you're willing to come to a place where you're willing to be hurt by them over and over again. Forgive them over and over again. One point, Peter looks at Jesus and says, how many times am I supposed to give somebody? And Jesus says, and I quote, a lot. He says 70 times 7, 490 times. He was just saying a lot. If you love them, how many times are you supposed to forgive them? A lot. When we really care about somebody, when we're passionate about somebody, we will let them hurt us multiple times and still come back. Because the relationship and the person matters so deeply to us. That reconciliation is primary. The story, the bewildering, confusing, 
surprising story of the gospel is that that's how God views us. That we're the ones that he's willing to go over and over and over again. To forgive over and over and over again. To actually take the punishment on himself. To actually reach out to us after he takes the punishment on himself. To actually commission a group of people to say, look, I just, a reconciliation matters. I long to have a relationship with the people on earth. I've died to make that possible. Now go out and tell them. It's why a tepid, timid, I'm going to whip a tract at somebody's chest, not only is it ineffective, it doesn't fit the gospel story at all. God passionately pursues people. He loves them and laid down his life for him. Sure, I'll whip a tract at you to show you that. Or I'll tell you one time, and if you don't accept it, I wash my hands of you. Or I'll nervously and afraid go, well, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Penn, I just wanted you to No, I believe in Jesus and you should too. It's not simply that it's ineffective. It's completely inimical to the gospel story, which is a God who passionately pursued people. So why are we still uncomfortable? Because that point hasn't sunk in. You and I become free when we know that we are fully acceptable and fully loved right now. When it sinks in, when it actually sinks in, you know, Gillette says, how much must you hate somebody not to know that this is happening? It shows that there's a gap somewhere in what we really believe. But the gap starts farther back. The gap starts with this. Do we really believe that you are the one? You are that individual. You are that relational person that God was willing to go to the nth degree over and over again to reconcile? Do you really believe that you are the one that he passionately pursued? That this very day, he longed to bring you closer and closer to him. That this very day, no matter what you do, no matter how you fail, he longs to bring forgiveness and powerful life change into you. Do you believe you're that person? See, when you believe you're that person, something shakes loose inside. How does somebody become comfortable in their own skin? when they know that they're loved and accepted now. When they know that their performance, while important, does not dictate who they are. When they know they are seen for all of their brokenness and loved there. See, if I know I'm loved, if I can just get it together, I'm going to be a little bit uh, squirrely. I'm going to be a little uncomfortable. If I know that right now I'm loved just as I am, fully seen, fully loved, I can actually be at ease. You see, our uncomfortability with the gospel reveals not a problem with the message, nor a problem with God, nor a problem with other people, but a problem with who we believe we are and our ability to finally receive the gospel for ourselves that we are loved and somebody else's view of me can never change that. He looked me right in the eye. Why? Because he was comfortable. Comfortable in his own skin. Aware that while he certainly probably felt a little nervous talking to Pendulette, more because of his celebrity than anything else, he was pretty comfortable with the fact that I'm loved by God, 
I really think this is true. I'd love you to know about it. If you don't accept it, uh-uh, it's okay. You see, where Christianity has gone sideways at times is when it's almost like we're angry with people. I'm gonna, I have a goal. My goal is to swear less on stage. Right there, I pulled it back. It's almost like we're angry with people that they didn't receive our message, that we take it as a personal affront. In the Inquisition, we tortured them. It's no personal affront. Pendulette to me, I think he's probably a good man. A decent human being. Now, I think he's absolutely wrong. But that's okay. He thinks I'm absolutely wrong. Why is it that we can't be comfortable with that? Because we're not comfortable with us. Because we need other people to accept us. Because the gospel really hasn't sunk deep. The gospel is not a line-by-line thing. Oh, there's a God. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. He forgave me. I'm now forgiven. I go to heaven. That is not the gospel. That's a, that's a litany of facts. The gospel is the good news that there is a God in the universe who loves you and pursues you every moment to make you right with him. That there's a God who loves you and longs to make you fully whole and fully alive. When that hits home, we're changed. I was told by my brother 30-some years ago, one day you will believe that God loves you. I was already a Christian, by the way. One day you will believe that God loves you and it will change everything. Still working on it. Still working on that core element of the gospel to come home. Because when that element of the gospel comes home, it changes everything, including my ability to walk up to somebody and talk to them about my relationship with Jesus. See, okay, let me, do I, uh, do I want you, hey, I'm your pastor, just in case you didn't know this, I'm your pastor. Do I want you to tell other people about Jesus? I do. I think it would be awesome because I think Paul's right. We are Christ's ambassadors. A great thing has happened that changes people's lives for good. And he's given us the message. So I'd love you to tell other people about it because it's really good for them. And if they disagree with you, okay. But I'd love you to do it. But more than that, I'd love you to believe that God wants you. Because if you do that, then I think the rest will happen. Do I want you to invite your friends for Easter next weekend? Sure, I do. Mm-hmm. Tenebrae, yep. Saturday gallery, yep. If you're one of the friends who's been invited here, are you sitting there thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, do you all have an agenda? Everybody repeat after me. Yes, we have an agenda. Of course we do. Everybody does. What's the big deal? I don't tell my friends I want you to come to something and I'm going to try to sneak something by you. There's none of my friends who doesn't know that I believe in Jesus. And I think it's an awesome thing. And I'd love them to too. And they can disagree with me. That's okay. Why can't we just open this up? Because it's something about us and our own uncomfortability in our skin. And the gospel is intended not to forgive you and make you a messenger. The gospel is intended to set your soul free. And finally, let us be comfortable with who we are. Children of God, deeply, deeply flawed, filled with beauty and loved beyond limit, who now walk through our days at ease. People's judgments hurt, 
but they are not definitive of who we are. We walk into people, up to people and we talk to them about our faith, not to notch our gun, not because we're getting our duty done, because we like them. And because we want them to know something very valuable. I pray for you that your hearts would be more free. Yes, I love you to talk to your friends. But I want you to know today that God loves you and he pursues you with a passion that is unlimited. Why? Because you matter that much to him. Let's pray. Lord, would you take our hearts and souls which get so twisted in thoughts of judgment, appropriateness, ways we ought to walk, and would you kind of untangle that for us and remind us that at the core of the gospel is very simple. There's a God who wants us reconciled with him and who pursues us to do so. All else is just a side note. Lord, would you first make us free so that sure we talk to our friends, but we talk to them for their sake, for a revelation of what's true within us, never out of duty, never because we have to, never to get the job done, but because of love. Free us, Lord, so we can be your ambassadors and help others that we come in contact with become free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we walk into this part of our service, which is the response, and if you're here, new here at Warehouse, you realize already this is different than a church you've been at before and that our service continues after the message. It is not the ending thing. It is not the thing we walk out on. We walk out on our response to God because what we want to do is think about what God says to us and then let our own hearts and souls respond to it. That is what this time is for. It's why we begin it with our offering. Our offering is a way for us to depict and articulate the concept, the deeply held concept that God pursues us. And so out of that, we give our resources to pursue others.